Before the Manhattan Bridge or the Chrysler or Empire State Buildings were built, there was Garber Hardware. The business has been in the same family for five generations. The first store was located at the corner of Horatio Street and 8th Avenue in Manhattan's West Village. In 2003, Garber Hardware moved to Greenwich Street and has since expanded to a second location in the Chelsea neighborhood. Hi, I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape. On this week's show, inside one of New York City's longest-running mom-and-pop businesses. My name is Nathaniel Garber-Schoen, and I'm one of the owning members of Garber Hardware. And we're here at Garber Hardware up in Chelsea, our second location, and that's on 9th Avenue between 22nd and 23rd Street. How long has this second location been open now? So we opened this store in the summer of 2016. Was that your vision to open a second store? You know, it's something I'd wanted to do uh, for a long time. There were some other projects that made it to different levels of completion over the years, some major dodged bullets. um, But it was once I moved our uh, flagship store in 2003, you know, that, that project was such that it seemed like, well, now I know how to do this. So, you know, let's keep our eyes open for opportunities to, you know, stamp out another location and move from there. What generation owner are you? I'm the fifth generation. So um, before me, or I guess we can go from the beginning forward, it would have been uh, Joseph Garber and his son Nathan, and then Nathan Garber um, and a couple of his sons, uh, Ralph first, who was the oldest, uh, and he was my grandfather. Uh, he eventually left the business, and his youngest brother, or one of the younger brothers, Hank Garber, who listeners may have had the opportunity to have met, he uh, took over the business when he graduated from Wharton, and he ran the store for many, many years, decades. And then my father and my uncle, after that, George and Tom, they still are around. You can find them in each of these stores, you know, one or two days a week. And after that, it was myself and my cousin Scott. So what's the story from the beginning? How did Joseph and Nathan come to open a hardware store? Um, you know, I, I don't know specifically, but, you know, we're Jews that emigrated from Russia and, you know, retail trade is something that's, you know, culturally not uncommon. Um, so you can talk to me about (laughs) Kang here. Who is this here? So we have a, a little mascot named Kangaroo and he has brought us a plastic water bottle to play with, which is certainly not the best for radio, I would imagine. Um, he's customer relations. You know, when there's a line in the store, it's actually kind of nice to have a puppy running around. It keeps New Yorkers that are always late for something uh, entertained and, you know, therapeutically calmed down. He's also famous. Kang, you call him Kang the Conqueror, right? And he's Instagram famous. Well, uh, there's plenty of uh, dog Instagram accounts, I'm sure, that beat him with followers, but he's got quite the following. Um, We've done, we did an Even Marcus catalog shoot last year. That was certainly, you know, uh, good for his uh, publicity. But uh, yeah, we like to take pictures of him at work and share them with the Instagram public. What kind of dog is Kang? He's a mostly Staffordshire Terrier. You know, you guys recognize him sort of like as a pit mix. He's got a little bit of shepherd in him. And how did you come to acquire Kang? So Kang came to me in 2015. Um, Before him, his predecessor at the store uh, was a Roddy. Uh, Her name was Kodos. 
Kang and Kodos. Um, and she lived a full 14 years. And then when she passed away, I reached out to um, some people I know in the adoption community. Uh, we've been hosting adoption events for, you know, 10, 12 years at the stores. Um, and I said, hey, you guys know me. You knew Kodos. You know the environment that our dogs need to be in. So if you have any rescues that you think would fit the bill, so let me know. This was over a Christmas, New Year's break, which is a tough time of year for the rescue community because there's lots of fosters out there, but people travel for the holidays. And they said, actually, there's this great dog. He needs a temporary foster just for right now. And I was certainly willing to try that. So I went up to Inwood, picked him up. And two days later, Jennifer over at the Bully Project texted me, hey, how are things going with Woody? And I said, his name is Kang the Conqueror and you're never getting him back. And that's how we got our kangaroo. He uh, was a foster fail, as they say. Okay, so we got sidetracked by Kang. Let's get back to the family yes. history. Especially since he's now comfortably away from us and entertaining himself. <laughs> so family history. So um, George and Tom, right? So that's, that's George is my father. Tom is my uncle. And my cousin Scott is Tom's son. He's uh, downtown, um, you know, most days. I'm up here at the new location a lot of the week and then we all rotate around. So is it true, though, that the store actually started off as a push cart? That is what I have to believe that's the case because, you know, I'm always afraid of, you know, pushing a false narrative. And then it's been so many years, we just like don't know any better. So well, what we can look up is when the building, our original location at 49 8th Avenue, when that was built. And I'm fairly positive that that building was not standing in 1884. Even if city records from back then aren't perfect, that wasn't the case. And also there have been some conflicting records because there's lots of, you know, like armchair you know sleuths out there that like think they might be related or just are doing research and they come across stuff and they will email you or bring us things and say hey look I found this from Ellis Island from when this guy came or that guy came Um, and I don't know necessarily with 100% certainty that 1884 was the date they landed but the business was incorporated in 1884 as far as we know and I have no evidence to show me otherwise. I mean, certainly it's well over a century that we've been conducting business and every year that goes by dilutes, for me anyway, um, any minor discrepancy. Um, we've all taken it at face value that, you know, 1884 was our was our founding date. And, and do you yeah. proudly display that in your window, established yes. 1884? Yes, we do. Um, wherever I can put it, even in our, our, like, Google Maps listing, you know, years and years ago, I, you know, had our DBA as you know, Garber Hardware, EST-1884. That's an anomaly in a city like New York, where establishments open and close all the time. Yeah, I agree. But that's, I think that's a modern thing. You know, I mean, growing up, hardware stores were ubiquitous. They were, they were everywhere. Um, You know, I would pass a hardware store to go get lunch on my way from like a summer work day at the village store when we were on 8th Avenue. Um, you know, but the days of New York being lots of little towns, um, sadly, are past. What role would you say a hardware store plays in a neighborhood? Well, I mean, I guess most obviously we help people, you know, fix broken things. You know, not necessarily we're doing the fixing, but 
you know, the brave or the professional, you know, will come in with questions and we, we do our best to either refer them to a place that can help, help them in store, give them the tools they would need to go continue the job they're doing on their own. You know, I, I definitely feel like um, certainly in the village where the architecture is as old as it is, um, that we're literally hold the neighborhood together. And then I think in a spiritual way too, I mean, you know, you can't do a lick of cosmetic work to my village store without starting a firestorm of, oh my God, Garber's is closing and like angry people having email chains back and forth and like speculating. I mean, it's, you know, and I get it. I get the anxiety uh, levels people have over, you know, the venerable uh, establishments of the city because you can't, you know, open up Gothamist or the newspaper and without seeing one of the, something else is gone. This guy is closing. Oh, well, they're moving or maybe it's a new concept or who, who knows, but things are that went unchanged for so long are now just up and vanishing. That said, I would imagine that you have many longtime customers, people you know for years, perhaps even since you were a kid. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, I'll still have people that will come in um, and say that, you know, they've been shopping since before I could see over the counter. Um, you know, I a lot of my personal like life choices were, you know, sculpted out of the people I would meet in the store. You know, I was uh, I, I studied art and art history, and I am sure a lot of that has to do with the, um, you know, men and women uh, professionals that I worked with as a kid in the store you know i mean these were big burly construction workers and they they, oh you in college now you know well, what are you studying and i was like i'm thinking about going into art history and they'd say oh that was my major and i'd be like okay well you know you're not doing so bad you know you were able to turn that degree into you know something that you clearly enjoy um which is the other thing i find about working in the store is that i think the vast majority of my professional clientele they like what they do you know, they are happy at work. You know, they work with their hands. They work creatively, um, usually both. Um, and they're happy. So it's nice to be not around miserable people. I understand you have an art studio in the hardware store. In the village store, yes. There, I These days it doesn't get as much exercise as I would like it to. You know, as I got older and took on more and more responsibility with the business. I had less time uh, for some of those pursuits. My last show was in 2009, but it was all that stuff was made, you know, in the back of the store. It's both our store's workshop and it, it was my art studio in the back of the space. What kind of art do you create? A mixed media work, you know, sculptures, um, three-dimensional wall hangings. The stuff I like to make... It, even if I'm satisfied with it, it's not the most marketable stuff. That's kind of the other things I went to school to learn how to do is to take my creative, you know, pursuits and make them marketable, small enough, wall hanging, things like that. So, Very cool. Was it an expectation that you would continue in the family tradition? Yes, I think not from my parents, but certainly I remember when I was young feeling the influence from other family members. My great, great uncle Hank, who I you refer to as a, my grandfather because he was a, like a grandfather to me, um, and my grandfather, his older brother, they were one of, you know, 11 children. So there were plenty of their children and even them while I was uh, young and they were all still alive that would, 
you know, ask me when they would see me, like, oh, are you, you know, you're studying in school? Are you going to grow up to be the president of Garber Hardware? Which I always thought was really funny. But yeah, you know, um, it was there, but not in any kind of pressure. You know, I didn't really feel the need, the pressure, and for lack of a better word, to get involved until, you know, I was in, I was taking some postgraduate classes at Parsons. I was, you know, working on my application to NYU's Gallatin program, which is a process in and of itself. And that's when the buildings where the store used to be were on the market to be sold and it became apparent to me that I didn't have to get involved I could continue on you know my civilian life course as I like to think of it but if I did that then the the likelihood of the store closing was great however if I decided to get involved full-time you know and steer the ship forward then it could be around and I I always promised myself that the store would be around until the generation after mine. I wouldn't feel like I would have to pressure that generation to keep it going, but I don't think I would have been comfortable, you know, if I was in a in another field and I wasn't able to keep the store going. So, Is there a sixth generation being groomed? I don't have children, um, but there is a sixth generation. Um, you know, my cousin, uh, my mother's uh, sister um, has uh, a, a couple children. Uh, her youngest, my cousin Kate, is like a sister to me, he lives in the city. Um, she has two boys um, that are great, college age and um, you know, junior high school age. If they were ever interested, um, I would be more than happy to have them be part of the business. They're brilliant and have their own talents, and I have like zero expectations of that, but it's always there. Um, also, my sister Jennifer has a son and a daughter. Um, and both of them, of course, are sixth generation. Um, and I have some nieces um, on my late wife's side, um, Annabelle and Abigail. Abigail's too young, she hasn't been in the store yet. But Abby, um, Annabelle is seven, and she loves working at the store. And I'm like fully like preparing for when she's a little older to be coming up here, just like we all did as kids. You spend two or three weeks working behind the register. You make a few dollars. It's fun when you're a kid. There's something really magical about being a clerk behind the counter. I can't explain it. I liked it. Everyone that's done it has always liked it, you know. And I think it is a really good confidence building experience because you deal with all sorts of different people in New York City and, you know, being exposed to that on the other side of the counter where, you know, it teaches you to listen, teaches you to think about, well, what's the answer for this person, even if it's something as simple as, well, where can I find X, Y, or Z? And, yeah, I, uh, I would love nothing more than to, you know, keep this business going long enough that it becomes an option for those kids. What is one of your more memorable experiences at the hardware store? One of my my favorite memories is, so the original store was located at 45, 47, and 49 8th Avenue. And they were connected on the interior by those, you know, 8 foot by 8 foot doors with like the emergency fire dropping garage door style thing that would separate it if there was ever a fire. Um, So, but at one point in time, we were not in, we were actually in, not inside 45 8th Avenue, that was Nick's Barbershop. We were in 47 and 49 and 49A, which used to be the pharmacy, now it's a a bike shop called Echelon Cycles. So at some point in the early 80s, we, Nick's Barbershop moved across the street to the corner of Horatio and West 4th, so just like literally like a stone's throw, and then we took over 45 and exited 49A. 
and the doorway between the two stores was still bricked up and it needed to be demolished and they handed me a sledgehammer and a helmet and goggles and they let me tire myself out smashing through a brick wall and let me tell you when you're a nine-year-old boy there is nothing more fun than being told here's a four-pound hammer go smash and smash I smashed it was super fun I am still digging through there are photographs that I can't find, but I know they exist because they're in those like shoe boxes. And anytime I find out that someone's going through pictures, I say, please tell me if you find those pictures of me breaking the wall from 47 into 45 8th Avenue. And what's a more modern memory? Well, in less detail than that story, I remember in, in my early teens, I was uh, helping a client cut chain. And um, I was always asking questions about what people were using what they were buying from us for because I found that it would help me build my knowledge base and usually folks um, you know uh, professionals they were always more than happy especially when you're a kid you're like it's cute here's a kid asking you questions so but I was a little bit older but I was still a kid I was maybe 14 or 15 and um, we had recently done a, a charity event at the theater club at my school where, like, we, like, ar- kids got arrested and, like, chained up and you would bail them out and the money went to, right? So it was like a gag kind of thing. It wasn't like, you know, it was all sanctioned and safe. Um, and so these, this guy is buying this chain and I'm not putting it all together. I mean, he's like head to toe in leather. And I'm saying, well, what do you need this for? Because I'm trying to, maybe I can suggest something better or maybe I'll have something to advise someone in the future. And, um, and, I, and he, I asked him, well, what, what is this chain for? And he's like, oh, it's for people. And I was like, oh, you guys doing a charity event? And he just like looks at me and then it like slow motion all like registers like what's happening. And remember, this is the West Village in, again, in like the early 90s. And I was like, oh, I won't ask you any more questions about this, you know. And he didn't, I mean, it was not uncomfortable for him. I mean, he, I mean, that was the, you know, sex and sexuality and in the West Village in the 90s, everyone wore it on their sleeve. And it didn't make me uncomfortable, but I did feel like I might, it did give me that, okay, I should definitely pay more attention about who I'm talking to before I ask certain questions in the future. Well, what would you say are the most common things people come into the hardware store for? I mean, the most common things are probably, you know, like the obvious things, you know, like light bulbs and, you know, longer screws because what came with what they need is too short. I, a ton of, you know, mounting hardware. You know, if you live in the city, odds are whatever comes with what you bought is not appropriate. So, you know, you'll need to get the appropriate stuff for the wall to mount your TV um, or your shelving unit or what have you. Um, and then the seasonal stuff. So this time of year, it's like tons of mulch and soils and, you know, terracotta pots, you know, things like that. We do a, a really uh, good amount of uh, custom paint mixing, of course. Um, you know, all the usual stuff for apartments being vacated and then um, having tenants move back in. There's some mulch so, coming through right now. Yes. Do you need a hand, Grace? Okay. How many more? Oh, okay. How much of it is curation really having to decide what to stock in your store? I mean, 
I think it's a huge amount of curation goes into the store, especially this location. So our store down in the village, um, in terms of at least our, the retail space that we're currently using, it's got to be over 4,000 square feet. You know? and, and the reality is, and a lot of the, this reality I learned from setting up this space here, which is only, you know, it's between 1,800 and 2,000 square feet, not counting our storage, and we got a lot in here. Um, so what I did was, was I curated our out of our existing, you know, selection, and it was certainly you know it's very important because even when you know you can be fully stocked and not have things people want, um, but at least you know having the majority of you know what might come up and a lot of it is really random things you know off the top of my head I, I can't name something that would be I can name anything and it might sound random I, I guess to a to a lay person but there's I hear on the regular um, I'm surprised you had this or I've been to six other stores or and to and to us it's like oh okay um, we're we're used so used to having all that stuff I mean I, I find myself constantly apologizing for not having something and and people will say um, well I mean it's fine I didn't expect you to have it and I say well you don't understand I you know our mentality is that we we just have to have a thing you know I mean my father will leave lists of things we just didn't have um, and I mean you could go bankrupt if you ordered just everything so you, you, certainly curation is, is key um, and curating this space has shown us um, what we can do in our village store. You know, it shows, I go in there on Mondays, um, at the very least I'm there on Mondays, sometimes more than one day a week, um, and I constantly marvel at how much space we're not using, and, um, uh, you know, filling that square footage costs, costs money, so it's not as simple as, well, we'll just fill it up, but, you know, certainly there's so much out there, you know, that you can have. Um, you have cast iron pans behind you. I wouldn't expect to find those in a hardware store. Well, it's, um, I think that we, so we are a hardware store, but I, I, I also think we're like a general store. Um, so, I mean, look, New Yorkers, you know, everyone shops on Amazon. I shop on Amazon. I mean, I love to take pictures of the, um, like, massive piles of Amazon uh you know, boxes on the street on those, like, you know, those last mile delivery services and just, like, you know, post them on Twitter and, like, say general things about all New Yorkers and be like, why are you guys not shopping? I mean, this is crazy. But I, but I get it. You know, I mean, we, we all, we all do it. Um, but before that, you know, it was always nice to go, you know, not running around is nice. You know, if you can consolidate, your that your stops on your errand running. I think every New Yorker can appreciate that. So a lot of our business um, over the years kind of I think fit that glove, right? It was like, all right, we have all this other stuff, and this is you know kind of related. Um, if someone's coming for this and that, they might also want this. Um, so in our housewares department, again, it's we're going to lean towards. Um, you know, the heavier duty, you know, so if we're going to have pots and pans, well, it should be a pan that lasts 95 years. Um, but we can't have a full, like, you know, Teflon pan selection. So we'll do things like this where we'll have the really high end, you know, like some nice heavy lodge pans up to this massive. I mean, I don't know who uses a 15 inch cast iron pan, but if you're out there, email me. I want to come over for dinner. 
Um, and then we carry, you know, inexpensive, you know, you're hosting, you've got a lot of cooking going on, you need an extra pot or pan, but nothing that costs more than like eight or nine dollars, you know, so we'll have that option as well. And then our stock, we like to let our clients build our stock. So if someone needs a thing and they don't need it right away and they're willing to let us or wait the two days it'll take to come into stock, we won't order necessarily just the two that that client needs. We'll order six and then we'll add the other four on the shelf because odds are if you're walking in here and you're asking for it, someone else is going to have that need one day. And when they come in, we'll have it. You know, and then it becomes a stock item. And now I have a nice little artificial intelligence in my computer that I can fall back on and generate a report and say, well, what in this department are, am I out of stock on? Because if it's an item that we don't sell very often, it's easy to forget that you even have it in the store. What, if any, impact has the big box stores had on your business? Even a few blocks from here, a Home Depot, dare right. I say Home Depot opened. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I don't feel like I compete with them, that's for sure. And they advertise on TV, which we don't do. And I've, and again, I don't know if this applies to people outside the city, but when you're a New Yorker and you're walking everywhere, um, if you, you may see a Home Depot commercial and that's not telling you I got to go to the Home Depot, it's reminding you that you need to pick up something from the hardware store and that's going to be your local hardware store, you know, so it could be me or it could be my colleagues on the east side. You know, there's lots of good hardware stores in the city. Um, they're not all 100 years old, but if there's a good hardware store in your neighborhood, you know, go to it. When people call me because we have, um, you know, we have a brand name. So you might search for a hardware store and you might, you can search for me and be a block away and I might not come up. Or you could be on East 80th Street and, you're, and I'll get a phone call. And if it's an item that's not something so esoteric that I doubt it would be anywhere else, I, I will tell you, you know what? Go back to your Google Maps and just Google hardware store at, near you and go patronize those guys or girls. Because, you know, I love that people want to come four miles to me, but I would love it more if other businesses like mine can thrive because there's more than enough clientele in the city to support um, hardware stores in every zip code. It used to be like that. The DIY movement is a relatively new phenomenon. What has that done for business? It's been great for business. Um, you know, that coupled with me being able to tell someone, I know this sounds scary, but if you type in these words into YouTube and just watch it happen in front of you, it'll take a lot of your fear away. Uh, and which I'll usually follow up with, if you royally screw up this project, you can still call this guy that I'm giving you his business card. And when he comes to make the repair for you, it won't cost you any more than it would if you called him now. So try it. It's really empowering to fix stuff on your own. I, I, I'm always pushing my clients to like pick up a, a tool and try it. But certainly it's, um, you know, I recognized, you know, I remember that the shift from that, you know, because it used to only be, you know, um, you know, union guys and girls and other professionals that we dealt with, you know. So if I was seeing you in the store on a weekday, because we, on Saturday, we used to be closed on Sundays, and Saturdays we were open to like 3 o'clock, you know. Um, so if I was seeing you on a weekday, you were either a super, a custodian, a contractor. Um, you were either in like events, lighting, floral, you know, um, stage, television production, movie production. I mean, that was that was it, you know, like start to finish all day long. Um, in the village, you had a lot, um, you, you know, a little pre-DIY movement 
kind of stuff because the village used to be a mess um, and the and the um, you know the denizens of the village back then you know they were fixing up these trashed old I mean no it's amazing to me like when I was a kid the, like my dad's caravan got broken into because there was a briefcase in it it was carpet samples but like that's what the village was you couldn't park an old caravan on the street and now I walk my dog and I I last night or the night before I passed um, like a $300,000 Mercedes, a Ferrari I mean these are parked on Horatio Street like like no big deal um, and that's great I'm all for the no crime in New York City but it's so different from what I remember growing up um, so back then you had people taking things into their own hands you know they, they, they couldn't afford to hire an architect to come in and fix their spaces so you, you had people that were, were coming in and they were residents but certainly um, you know in the late 90s early 2000s and beyond when you started to have you know television programming um, you know directed uh, you know all based off of all that DIY type of stuff we certainly saw an influx of you know people wanting to do it which is a nice change because it, you know in the city, we all have supers, and there's so much that's done for you that if you don't live in a building and you live elsewhere in the country um, or even in the state, you know, you that's your problem. You got to either pay a professional to come or you got to do it yourself. Um, so, in the city where a lot of folks um, have that resource, it's nice to see people taking matters into their own hands, you know, and it's certainly there's been an increase in, in that kind of thing for sure. Final question What's the oddest thing? someone has come in here for and gotten or just asked just asked <laughs> if i know where to get it and i don't have it I w- it won't register as odd it's when someone asks me for something and i'm thinking i don't even know like where to send you for that and i think i probably have a mental block so that i don't remember like the things we don't have that i don't know about um but we've had i mean even besides the guy that wanted like all the snm chain Man, it's hard. It's so hard to say because we've had so much stuff, so it won't be odd. But I think it's telling that I can't answer it. That we have so much, have had so much odd stuff over the years that we find it. Well, Nathan, thank you so much for your time. I'm so happy to talk with you, um, and thanks for the work you do. I'm a. This doesn't need to make it on the air, but I'm a huge radio nerd. I'm a huge fan of NPR. This has been like a huge thrill for me to be able to like be a part of the NPR landscape, and uh, you know I'm happy to participate. So thanks for coming. Nathaniel Garber Schoen is a fifth generation owner of Garber Hardware in Manhattan. More info at GarberHardware.com. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Boraki. My thanks to producer Maddie Bristow, and thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.